Welcome to Night Night Bitch. I'm your host, Molly, your guide to awe-inspiring texts read by me or in the voices of their original creators. Please know I don't own any of this content. It's all freely accessible online and duly cited in my episode descriptions for your reference. This podcast is a creative outlet for me, so I don't update it as regularly. But if you'd like to subscribe to my other podcast, Back From The Borderline, I release two thought-provoking episodes each week. And now, let's dive into the episode. Welcome. It's time to rest your weary mind, unwind, escape the matrix, and explore the arcane. We live in a culture that is rapidly losing its grasp on myth and meaning. Exploration of philosophy, depth psychology, esotericism, the occult, myth, and mysticism have been proven to inspire awe. Such experiences of daily awe have been shown to be psychologically beneficial and aid in the potential expansion of consciousness. Each time we're here together, I'll select a reading, article, or sample audio that could increase your opportunity for such experiences. While you listen, you might fall asleep. You might wake up. You might do both. Maybe finding the perfect balance between awake and dreaming is exactly what you always needed. Night night bitch. This is the exercise for your own development process designed by you. You should be hearing my voice in your right ear. Remember the purpose, your purpose for this exercise. And begin your pre-preparation process now. The affirmation beginning, I am more than my physical body. The history of Christianity has always been filled with struggle. When the Middle Ages brought a rise in devoted, unique Christian teachings, the church responded by declaring them heretics. And the heretics were hunted down. But one such Christian teaching managed to stay afloat, to resist the pressure and survive, for a while at least. These were the Cathars, followers of Catharism, the Christian dualistic and Gnostic movement that swept through Europe and gained many followers. And together, you and I will retrace their steps across the continent exploring their impact on the history of the Middle Ages all the way through today. Who were these mysterious zealots 
who managed to take a stand against the Catholic Church, and what was their impact on the generations that came after. The word Cathar comes from the Greek word katharos, meaning the pure ones. Catharism promoted values of equality, neighborliness, and charity, and turned its back on the pomp, hierarchy, and worldly wealth of the Catholic Church. Catharism did not have a leader or a founder, nor did it take root in one place. It appears to have originated in the Middle East and spread to Europe via Constantinople, the Balkans, and Italy. It inherited elements of Sufism, Buddhism, Zoroastrianism, fused with a dualist perspective, a universe of good versus evil, light versus darkness, a good god of the spiritual world and an evil god of the material world. Accordingly, the material world was of no interest and one had to achieve spiritual enlightenment in order to reach the good God. By the 11th century, there were Cathar believers all over Europe, including England. But one of the places in which the Cathar church really flourished, and the place with which the word Cathar is now strongly associated, is in the Landoc. Certain events can sometimes change the entire course of history for a country or region, and the rise of the Cathars in the Languedoc was one of those important historical flashpoints. In the early Middle Ages, France was a much smaller country. It was a patchwork of kingdoms, duchies, and counties, some with allegiance to the French crown, others with different loyalties. Languedoc was the generic name given to the vast area in the south where they did not speak French at all, but rather a family of languages between French and Spanish, sometimes known as Le Languedoc or Occitanian. Some areas in Occitania, itself derived from the Roman word Aquitania, were largely independent. Others belonged to the Holy Roman Empire and others still, including parts of Pays Cathares, to the Kingdom of Aragon. Territories in this frontier region, far from the powerhouses of Europe, changed hands frequently as a result of alliances and power struggles. Yet despite that, the Languedoc was a wealthy, prosperous place, rich in culture and learning. It was a cultural melting pot where new ideas and different religious ideas were readily embraced than in the cooler climates of Northern Europe. It was a home to a large Jewish community that enjoyed much greater freedom and prosperity than was usual in Catholic Europe. It was the birthplace of the poetic, romantic troubadours in a land of courtly love and chivalry. And it was also the perfect place 
in the Middle Ages for a heresy to flourish. As in later centuries, religious dissent was not just a theological statement. It was a way by which local rulers and people could assert their differences and cultural independence from the great European powers of the day, the Catholic Church and the kings of France. Thus, many peoples of the Languedoc adopted Catharism and, in doing so, distanced themselves from the French and from Rome. By the early 13th century, Catharism had taken such a strong hold in the area that in 1208, Pope Innocent III launched the notorious Albigensian Crusade, a crusade aimed not against the infidels, but against the heretical Cathars. For 20 years, crusaders led by the barons of France sacked and pillaged the area, massacring Cathars or converting them by force to Catholicism. They were not eradicated, however, and in the early 1220s, a second wave of crusading took place, this time led by the kings of France. Finally, most of the area was subjugated, and in 1229, the Treaty of Maupéry was signed, bringing almost the whole of Occitania into the realm of the French crown. In 1233, the church authorities created the Inquisition, with the express intention of completely wiping out heresy. The Inquisitors worked tirelessly and methodically to track down and destroy every heretic in the land, although pockets of Cathar resistance held out for the next 26 years. The fortified hilltops, castles, villages, and towns surrounding the Domain de Palats in Pays Catharis are a stark reminder of the region's turbulent history. Many of the castles actually predate the Cathar period, having been constructed in earlier centuries as defensive positions along the changing border between Aragon and France. But during the Albigensian Crusade, these fortified positions often served as strongholds for besieged Cathars, and many witnessed the most atrocious massacres. The castle at Montsegur remained a Cathar stronghold until 1244, when it was finally taken, and 200 Cathar prisoners that were taken were burned alive. The last Cathar stronghold, the Chateau de Perepetus, fell in 1255. In order to consolidate their power, the new French masters of Languedoc rebuilt and maintained the fortified cities and great defensive castles of the area. They strengthened the defenses of walled cities like Carcassonne and Narbonne and renovated most of the imposing strongholds that they had captured. Today, these fortifications are known as the Cathar Castles, 
some were restored, others are romantic ruins, and all of them are worth a visit. The Albigensian Crusade has been described as the first act of genocide in Europe. Starting with the sack of Biziers, historians estimate that the persecution of the Cathars in Languedoc caused half a million deaths. In cultural terms, the suppression of the Cathar heresy and the consolidation of French power in Occitania led to the strangling of one of the great cultures of medieval Europe. From Montsegur, as the legends tell us, a small group of Cathars fled with something, a secret, which was never found by the Crusaders. What was it? The Holy Grail, a green jade bowl, the heir of the royal bloodline, the Arthurian legends, knowledge, or perhaps all of these, we may never find out. The flame of Occitanian literature and culture snuffed out in the 13th century by the imposition of a nobility answerable to the crown of France has never been seriously rekindled. But all was not lost. Many people in the area continued to follow the Occitanian ways and the language is still alive, even to this day. In recent years, the memory of the Cathars has staged a strong revival, as can be seen in the increasing number of explorers, historians, and lovers of the Languedoc that travel to the region every year. So what did the Cathars believe? Cathars are dualists. They believed in two principles, a good god and his evil adversary, much like God and Satan of mainstream Christianity. The good principle had created everything immaterial, good, permanent, immutable, while the bad principle had created everything material, temporary, and perishable. Cathars called themselves simply Christians, their neighbors distinguished them as the good Christians. The Catholic Church called them Albigenses, or less frequently, Cathars. Cathars maintained a church hierarchy and practiced a range of ceremonies, but rejected any idea of priesthood or the use of church buildings. They divided into ordinary believers who led ordinary medieval lives and an inner elect of parfait, who were made up of men and women, who led extremely ascetic lives, yet still worked for their living, generally in interrent manual trades, like weaving. Cathars believed in reincarnation and refused to eat meat or other animal products. They were strict about biblical injunctions, notably those about living in poverty, not telling lies, not killing, 
and not swearing oaths. Basic Cathar tenets led to some surprising implications. For example, they largely regarded men and women as equals and had no doctrinal objection to contraception, euthanasia, or suicide. In some respects, the Cathar and Catholic churches were polar opposites. For example, the Cathar church taught that all non-procreative sex was better than any procreative sex. The Catholic Church taught, as it still teaches, exactly the opposite. Both positions produced interesting results. Following their tenet, Catholics concluded that masturbation was a far greater sin than rape. Following their principles, Cathars could deduce that sexual intercourse between man and wife was more culpable than homosexual sex. Catholic propaganda on this supposed Cathar proclivity gave us the word bugger from Bougre, one of the many names for the medieval Gnostic dualists. So essentially, Cathars looked very favorably upon same-sex sexual interactions, which of course would have very much gotten under the skin, to say the very least, of the Catholic Church. A quick search on Urban Dictionary of the word bugger. To this day, the word bugger and buggery is still used as slang for homosexual sexual activity in certain parts of the world. And now you've learned that the word bugger was actually Catholic propaganda to suppress the freedom with which the Cathars or the Gnostic dualists expressed themselves sexually, which was a direct threat to their doctrine. In the long dock, known at the time for its high culture, tolerance, and liberalism, the Cathar religion took root and gained more and more adherence during the 12th century. But by the early 13th century, Catharism was notably the majority religion in the area. Many Catholic texts refer to the danger of it replacing Catholicism completely. Catharism was supported, or at least tolerated, by the nobility, as well as the common people. This was yet another annoyance to the Roman Church, which considered the feudal system to be divinely ordained as the natural order. Cathars disliked the feudal system because it depended on oath-taking, which was against their doctrine. In open debates, with leading Catholic theologians, Cathars seemed to have come out on top. This was embarrassing for the Roman Church, not least because they had fielded the best professional preachers in Europe against what they saw as a collection of uneducated weavers and other manual workers. A number of Catholic priests 
had become Cathar adherents. Catharism was a religion that seems to have appealed especially to the theologically literate. Worse, the Catholic Church was being held up to public ridicule. Some of the richest men in Christendom, bejeweled, vested in finery, and preaching poverty, provided an irresistible target even to contemporary Catholics in the long dock. Worse yet, Cathars declined to pay tithes to the Catholic Church. As one senior churchman observed of the Cathar movement, if it had not been cut back by the swords of the faithful, I think it would have corrupted the whole of Europe. The Cathar view of the Catholic Church was as bleak as the Catholic Church's view of the Cathar Church. On the side of the Cathars, it manifested itself in ridiculing Catholic doctrine and practices and characterizing the Catholic Church as the Church of Wolves. Catholics accused Cathars of heresy or apostasy and said that they belonged to the Synagogue of Satan. The Catholic side created some striking propaganda. When the propaganda proved unsuccessful, there was only one option left, a crusade. The Albigensian Crusade. The head of the Roman Catholic Church, Pope Innocent III, called a formal crusade against the Cathars of the Languedoc appointing a series of military leaders to head his holy army. The first was a Cistercian abbot, Arnaud Almery, now best remembered for his command at Bezier. Kill them all. God will know his own. The second was Simon de Montfort, now remembered as the father of another Simon de Montfort, a prominent figure in English parliamentary history. The war against the Cathars of the Long Dock continued for two generations. In the later phrases of the kings of France would take over as leaders of the crusade, which thus became a royal crusade. Among the many victims who lost their lives were two kings. Peter, the second king of Aragon, cut down at the Battle of Muret in 1213, and Louis, the seventh king of France, who succumbed to dysentery on his way home to Paris in 1226. From 1208, a war of sheer terror was waged against the indigenous population of the Languedoc as well as their rulers. During this period, an estimated half-million Languedoc men, women, and children were massacred, Catholics as well as Cathars. The Crusaders killed the locals completely indiscriminately, in line with that famous line that was used by one of the Cistercian abbots, kill them all, God will know his own. The horrors that these people must have endured are unimaginable. The Counts of Toulouse 
and their allies were dispossessed and humiliated, and their lands later annexed to France. Educated, spiritually motivated, and tolerant Languedoc rulers at this time were replaced by relative barbarians. Dominic Guzman, later Saint Dominic, founded the Dominican Order. Within a few years, the first papal inquisition, manned by the Dominicans themselves, was established explicitly to wipe out the last vestiges of resistance. Persecutions of Languedoc Jews and other minorities were then initiated. The culture of the troubadours was lost, as their cultured patrons were reduced to wandering refugees. Their characteristic and sophisticated worldview was almost destroyed, leaving us a pale imitation of our idea of chivalry. Lay learnings was discouraged, and the reading of the Bible became a capital crime. Tithes were enforced. The long dock started its long economic decline from the richest region of Europe to become the poorest region in France. And the language of the area, Occitan, began its descent from the foremost literary language in Europe to a regional dialect disparaged by the French as patois. At the end of the extermination of the Cathars, the Roman Church had proof that a sustained campaign of genocide can work. It also had the precedent of an internal crusade within Christendom and the machinery of the first modern police state that could be reconstructed for the Spanish Inquisition and again for later inquisitions and genocides. Chateaubriand referred to the crusade as this abominable episode of our history. Voltaire observed that there was never anything as unjust as the war against the Albigensians. Catharism is often said to have been completely eradicated soon after the end of the 14th century, yet there are still more than a few vestiges even today, apart from the enduring memory of Cathar martyrdom and the ruins of the famous Cathar castles. It's been nearly 800 years since these events have occurred. More and more memorials are springing up on the sites of the massacres of the Cathars. There's also an increasing community of historians and other academics engaged in serious historical and other academic Cathar studies. Interestingly, to date, the deeper scholars have dug, the more they've vindicated Cathar claims to represent a survival of an important Gnostic strand of the earliest Christian church. Arguably, just as interesting, Protestant ideas share much in common with Cathar ideas, and there is some reason to believe that early reformers were aware of the Cathar tradition. Even today, some Protestant churches claim a Cathar heritage. Tantalizingly, weavers were commonly accused of spreading Protestant ideas in the 15th and 16th century, just as their antecedents in the same trade 
had been accused of spreading Cather ideas in medieval times. It can even be argued that in many respects, Roman Catholic ideas have shifted over the centuries ever further from the church's medieval teaching and ever closer to Cathar teaching. A Cathar idea was echoed by William Shakespeare, by Ariel in The Tempest, in Act 1, Scene 10. Hell is empty. All the devils are here. An arresting modern way of stating the principal dualistic teaching of the Cathars is you are a ghost driving a meat-coated skeleton. So, do Cathars still exist today? It depends what you mean. If you mean, are there people living today who claim to be Cathars? Well, then the answer is yes. If you mean, are there people who live like Cathars and believe what the Cathars believed, then the answer is also yes. But neither of these answers tells the whole story. For example, quite a few of the people calling themselves Cathars will tell you that they are reincarnated Cathar parfait. But a central Cathar belief was that upon their deaths, parfait were released from the cycle of rebirth. Which means that either these modern Cathars hold to a belief system that they know to be wrong, or that they're imposters who have not yet troubled to do their homework. A more interesting question is whether any Cathars living today can claim a continuous chain of succession from the parfait of the 13th century. The reason that this is significant is that the Cathars themselves claimed a continual chain of descent, each parfait having joined the inner circle of the elect by being given the consolamentum by an existing parfait. There therefore existed a continuous chain of succession from any parfait all the way back to the original biblical Pentecost. If this looks suspiciously like the doctrine of apostolic succession claimed by Catholic and other mainstream bishops, it's worth bearing in mind that the mainstream church is known to have copied this idea from a Gnostic sect in the 4th century and then fabricated lines of apostolic succession for the missing centuries. After the depredations of the Inquisition in the 14th century, the chain of succession was restored in the Long Dock by two brothers who traveled to Piedmont to receive the consolamentum from a parfait there, but this line was apparently exterminated with the burning of a city in 1321. The Italian line was exterminated by the Roman Church soon after, and in the 15th century, the Balkan line was suppressed or absorbed by Islam, which shares the characteristically Gnostic belief that it was a divine phantom, not a man, who was crucified when the authorities thought they were executing Jesus. A line from the Quran is, They slew him not, 
nor crucified him, but it appeared so unto them. Cathars were also universalists, which means that they believed in the ultimate salvation of all human beings. Here is an account of how they saw themselves, recorded in 1143 or 1144, taken from the letter of a prior of an abbey in Steinfeld writing to Bernard of Clairvaux or St. Bernard. Of themselves, the Cathars, they say, we are the poor of Christ who have no fixed abode and flee from city to city like sheep amidst wolves are persecuted as were the apostles and the martyrs, despite the fact that we lead a most strict and holy life, preserving day and night in fasts and abstinence, in prayers and in labor from which we seek only the necessities of life. We undergo this because we are not of this world. But you, lovers of the world, have peace with it, because you are of the world. False apostles who pollute the word of Christ, who seek after their own interest, have led you and your fathers astray from the true path. We and our fathers of apostolic descent have continued in the grace of God and shall so remain to the end of time. To distinguish between us and you, Christ said, by their fruits you shall know them. Our fruits consist in following the footsteps of Christ. Thank you for venturing into the unknown with me. Full details about the selected text are available in the episode description. Selected readings are for the purpose of research and study, entertainment, discussion, and consciousness expansion. The views and opinions expressed in the included readings belong to the original authors and creators and may not necessarily reflect my own. The episode description also contains links that will allow you to join the community on social media and support the continued production of this podcast. Don't forget to follow the show on your favorite podcast player so you're alerted when new episodes are released. In a wonderland they lie, dreaming as the days go by, dreaming as the summers die, ever drifting down the stream, lingering in the golden gleam. Life, what is it? but a dream. Night-night, bitch. <laughs>